value. Uh, donate us some gear, please. Open from Baptist Church Carpool, karaoke, church planners, Q&A. We've got Thomas Flashlight uh, just beaming our faces right now. So, we're keen. You left the studio light somewhere. Studio light. Someone, okay, so someone I put the makeup out. light on. Does that help? <laughs> anyway, welcome Zero. everyone to another week of Carpool Q&A. It's my car, Tona Corolla, as we all know. Um, our book. Today we're going to be discussing more on spiritual gifts. Uh, last week we discussed spiritual gifts probably more generally in the context of the local church and desiring gifts and what that looks like and very informative. Go check it out if you didn't watch last week's. This week, uh, more in detail, um, particularly some of the nuances of, of continuationism and how some of these more miracle uh, gifts might work. We'll see. Um, so first question, Tom. Yeah. Have all the gifts of the Spirit continued? Uh, I, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yep. <coughs> yep. Cool. Uh, probably the yeah, usually guys, or even even a lot of cessationists say, um, technically apostleship is a gift, which I don't agree with. Um, I don't really agree with. Uh, it, it has ceased. I don't think apostleship was a gift. It was an right. office. Okay. It was an office, and that office continues. It doesn't continue to be filled by new people, but we still have the same gift of. A, of the apostles in our church today, just not bottled, right? But a lot of churches, I'll, I'll say a lot, but at least some churches didn't have the apostles in their midst, right? They just had the apostolic truth and the letters from the apostles. Those were still genuine New Testament churches that never got the gift of the apostles, right? But they still had the ap apostolic truth. So I would, I would probably just have my own nuance there that I'm less, less hardline on saying, um, I, I'm as hardline as anybody. I'm, know that we would say there are no more apostles today but on the other hand we have we have our 12 apostles we have our 13 apostles the 12 plus Paul are still our apostles so that gift continues but not 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 the gift still being available to new people is what I would say careful distinction yeah but no all of the other gifts continue right so if someone is claiming an apostolic yeah. ministry or Punch authority up. What did you say? Punch them. Punch them. Yeah, in the head. Yeah. yeah. With whose authority? Your, your, your authority. Paul's. Paul's authority. Okay. He, sa <laughs> he says that people that disagree with the gospel should have their uh, southern parts chopped off. Mm. He, so, you know, yep. punching the head is pretty gracious. Uh, pe people who function on apostolic authority, um, I think we've talked about this in another episode, are claiming... It's a perfect thing to claim because... It means that you come with Jesus' authority. It means that you speak on the same authority as Paul. Um, there's no more apostles today. Yeah. Some, very few, but some guys still use the word apostle to really just mean a ministry that leads pastors, right? It's it's over multiple pastors, like a pastor of pastors, but they're apostolic yeah. or, or groundbreaking missions. They go, they would call like Adonai and Judson an apostle in the sense that he went to somewhere new and had that gifting. Yeah. I think that's uncareful and just unnecessary. Like just call them a pioneer. Call them something else. Um, a church plan or whatever. Don't use that language of apostle because it's just... It, that's the trick of the false teachers. So yeah. cut their feet from under them by just saying, if you call yourself apostle anything, 
you're in the red books, you're out, we don't listen to you. Yep. So when we're saying all spiritual gifts have continued, yeah. uh, which is sometimes contentious in our kind of camps, yeah. we're, we're including um, tongues, prophecy, miracles, healings. Let's just talk about some of these in more detail. What is the gift of tongues? Uh, the gift of tongues was twofold. According to the book of Acts, we see that the book of tongues is a supernatural endowment in a moment um, to be able to proclaim. It was really an extension of prophecy. They were enabled to proclaim a God-inspired uh, uh, gospel or presentation or praise to God uh, in a language they had never learned before. It's unclear whether or not the person who was speaking the tongues, say in Acts 2, was even able to understand themselves. That's unclear. I think they probably did but, uh, because it was more sermonizing, but that's, that's unclear. That's not entirely sure. Um, but definitely they were speaking a language they had never heard before. So that's a dead example right there of yep. right down the middle, that's what tongues is. Paul also speaks of speaking in tongues and uses language of um, speaking in the tongues of angels. Um, uh, and he says, if I speak in tongues, I, I pray to God and I edify myself, First Corinthians 14. Yep. So um, <clears throat> that leaves that leaves room for a second sort of manifestation of, of the gift of languages, which is all that tongues mean gift of languages is that God um, uh, at some times in some people's lives and not for everybody uh, uh, gives to them the ability to pray to him without even the understanding of their of what they're saying but the but the knowledge that they are praying in the spirit so that there is an immediate communication between their spirit and God's spirit rather than a mediated communication through my words and through human language. It just sort of takes the lid off. We pray in without without restraint and, and in free utterance. But uh, even that, that is not the, even the norm for anybody's prayer life because uh, Paul more frequently, he mentions that once. Almost every letter he writes, he says, I'm praying for this for you. I'm praying for this. So most of the time, prayer is intellectual. That by the over overwhelming um, majority of the time, prayer should be like that, even for the people with the gift. Yep. And I don't believe that people who have the gift once will necessarily have it again. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, but that, but that's what it is. That, and I know I'm not defend. I haven't defended that as being the case. But that, that's what I mean when I speak of gift of tongues. The the prayer language continues for certain for some people who are gifted in that way. And the I still believe and would pray for on the on the mission on a pioneer mission field. Um, where uh, resources are not available to be able to learn the language and things like that, absolutely, I'll just pray that God would do a miracle and let me preach a fluent Burmese sermon right here. I'm always, I'm always open for that. I'm never waiting for that. You never rely on that. Uh, but sure, you know that can be an expect that can be a, a prayer of faith that God yep. would do such a miracle, just as much as He would do any other miracle. Because remember, um, uh, yeah, tongues can be. I think in large part they're connected to the gift of prophecy. That is that God is giving somebody something to say. Right. Um, but but then the third element of tongues, which we didn't really speak about, was um, was really just a uh, just prophecy with a hat on. Which is that in the in a Paul gives allowance for this, but severely limits it to the point that I think probably no one was doing any tongues in the Church of Corinth. Nor do I think anybody should be really seeking to speak in tongues in the gathered assembly um, which is that he says uh, 
if you have a prophecy but it's coming to you in a tongue and you do have the, the you do have the interpretation through somebody else somebody else has given the interpretation or you're given the interpretation or somehow you know certainly that somebody does have the interpretation it shouldn't be shared it shouldn't be shared because to share a tongue without interpretation is possibly to bring people under judgment people are listening going wow God's speaking right now and I can't understand what he's saying that that's actually an act by which God judges people as if to dangle the the, the, the the goodness of the gospel in front of them but not give it to them in a way that they're able to digest it that was part of the first century use of tongues to judge the Jews right a sign that the good news of salvation is in their midst but in a foreign tongue um, so uninterpreted yeah, right. it's like it's not it's not edifying to anybody so we just need to be careful yeah I definitely so in terms of like liturgy some people might hear me say oh you think tongues goes on I don't want to come to your church people rolling around singing in tongues and whatever no the tongues do not have a place in the gathered assembly on a Sunday um, because they're so entirely spontaneous that you can't plan to have a tongues portion of your liturgy Paul directly prohibits with apostolic authority that everybody would speak in uninterpreted tongues at the same time in 1 Corinthians 14 and uh, therefore, and so he says, tongues is just between me and God to edify myself and to pray. So why would I want to sh show that off in front of other people? It's, it's, if I'm going to pray for something miraculous to happen with my mouth, let it be a prophecy. Yeah. But otherwise, most of the time, I'm cool to come in, pray, hear, learn, sing, encourage, be hospitable, serve, go home, preach the gospel. Yeah. Cool. So some people who hold to gift of tongues continuing they'll say it's strictly a foreign language but you'd say you'd give room for um an utterance which yeah is the language paul uses in first corinthians 14 yeah yeah um, i pray to god yeah and and if someone has that gift yeah it may only be for a season it may not be for life yeah i just i don't think many i don't think any of the spiritual gifts i think i said this last week are really a like a like a like a badge that you get. Yeah. It's not like a month of the year that you were born in. Like you can never change it. That that's the you know that's the spiritual ability you got when you were born. It's like you know a, a, a Christian version of of star sign. You know. Yep. That's a type that you have. No, it's not like that at all. It's it's um. I think there are some which are more effective and therefore given in in permanence. Things like teaching. Um, but I absolutely believe that somebody with the gift of teaching through their spurning of the gift, through their failing to pray, through their failing to live a holy life, through their failing to fan into flame the gift that God gave them, like to Timothy, Paul says, um, God can remove that gift. It doesn't mean that, that the next Sunday they're, they're out of ministry, out of a job because you don't seem to have the spiritual gift anymore, but you probably will end up losing this job if the people of God are not being edified. Because remember, the point of the gifts is to grow the church. If you don't have the gift, it will damage the church in that role. Um, but no, but, but in general, it's give, they can be given or taken. Yep. Cool. And that's why some people might use the language of a personal, private prayer life. Prayer yeah. language. Prayer language, yeah. Because it's for the church. And to bring your tongue to the church is a judgment. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, well, you, people who hold my position might use yeah language of it's a private prayer language because it's private it's between you and God and it's a prayer it's not just sitting there you know meditating and, and, and humming and bubbling like a, like a pagan would 
are still somehow, nor, nor, nor should it be a trance. They're intellectually engaged, they're thinking about things they want to pray for, it's just the words they don't know what they're saying. Yep. Um, uh, and it can't, it can, it can be faked badly, but it can't be faked properly. The person knows when they're faking it. Um, it can be faked by demons, of course, but, but in general, I don't think Christians need to be as worried as that, as they're told, to, you know, a lot of cessationists are told, you know, yep. don't desire tongues or you'll probably get a demon that'll make you, make you live a perfectly holy Christian life, but then you'll mumble in the closet. First of all, is that really what a, is that, is that the end goal of a demon? Like, live a perfectly Christian sound life on the, in the mission, but you know, when I pray, I say less than intelligible words, it's pretty low level, low hanging fruit. But secondly, no, the Christian, that's a direct opposition to what Jesus promises. He says, a good father doesn't slip a scorpion into somebody into their son's mouth when he's begging for bread. Nor does God give uh, anything other than the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Um, yeah, if you're not his son, if you're not a Christian, if you're in rebellion and like the sorcerer of Acts, if you're trying to gain the, the Spirit of God for your own good and power, yeah, you'll probably get demonic stuff. But if you're a Christian, and you're praying for the gift of tongues, which you believe the Bible teaches, you're not going to catch a demon. Yeah. Even even when I was a cessationist, which I used to be, I did not think that was a very compelling argument. Like, I don't think that's quite silly. But, um, yeah. like, like, I had been a, I had been a uh, charismatic, then I became a, a Calvinist and a cessationist, and then ended up stabilizing as a reformed charismatic. But even in my cessationist days, I was never like, oh no, I was praying for tongues before. Maybe I had it. I, I was getting pretty close to Satan's realm. I, it's just silly. Um, yeah, we should. We should test all spirits. But praying that God would give us that gift of deep spiritual intercessory prayer is not really how you tempt Satan. Mm, nice. So, as, as this gift relates to prophecy, yeah. what exactly is the gift of prophecy? Um, the gift of prophecy can come in many different forms. But basically, it's God giving um, uh, a, uh, a small r revelation to somebody. So it's not that they're learning through their reading or they're learning something as they read the newspaper or they're learning something from other people. But God tells them. Now, the, the many forms, it might be through a dream, might be through an impression, might be through an audible word, might be through... something they just can't explain, right? Um, but God has told them something. Uh, and that word is never new doctrinal truth, is never a confirmation of doctrinal truth, as if to say, hey guys, we prayed about it, our church is going to be a Reformed Baptist church because the Spirit told us to. That's dumb. Study your Bible, be convinced of your Bible. Um, it's, never, it's never any of those things. It is simple and poor, again, Paul gives us the most practical means. He says it's for consolation, edification, encouragement, and um, uh, those types of things. So it's it, now one of the examples. So we have First Corinthians 14, which tells us those things. We also see in the Book of Acts that prophets who are not apostles, prophets who are not speaking deep mysteries of revelation, but simply practical, momentary, circumstantial exhortations and directions. They would say things like. There's a, there's a drought coming here. Let's get some stockpiling going. This is what happened to Joseph in the Old Covenant, right? God wants to save people. There's a drought coming. Let's get some food stored up. Um, somebody said to Paul, you know, you're going to get arrested. Um, 
go to that city, uh, things like that. I think with a yeah. Uh, so circumstantial, still mind-blowing. I don't want to make it so normal that we just go, oh, they're basically just a, a wise counselor. No, it would have blown your mind. But, you know, it's stuff that would make us reform types shake in our boots and go, whoa, that's extreme. Um, yeah. But but, but still, that, that's kind of the purpose of it, is that we would be shaken with the reality and the presence and the imminence of God's power in the church. Yeah. I think that's, that's something that we lose. Um, even as myself thinking as a pastor of a reformed, sound, theologically strong church, I would never give any empty of that up. And you're never going to hear me say that's kind of a, a weak spot because of anything to do with the spiritual gifts. No, yep. it's always awesome. Um, but something that uh, is pretty common is that we um, uh, we aren't imposed with a with a deep sense of of imminent reverence. We often have the the, the, the transcendent, transcendental reverence of God is so glorious, God is so infinite, God is so, uh, uh, all of these things. He's above, he's beyond, he's, he's uh, all of those glorious things, but we can fail to enter into the, the imminence, the fact that he is near and present and powerful. And, um, uh, and I think the reformers, you know, the, the, Puritans really hit it on the head with a lot of their language of church and the means of grace. Like God is here in our midst. God is working. God is powerful. All that kind of stuff. And um, uh, yeah, so um, it, it, that's part of what prophecy is about. And these miraculous yeah. gifts. That's what they're sort of to do is to remind us, wow, God is in this place. So it's not merely speaking God's word or preaching. No. Uh, I wouldn't say, hey, no. Tom, nice uh, prophetic word today, and, and you just you just preach Colossians. Yeah, no, no. It's a specific situation. Well, well people or... usually say that, but completely indefensible hermeneutical reasons when they get to, like, First Thessalonians chapter 5, in a list of things that you can never say don't apply to all of God's people for all time. Um, uh, you know, rejoice in all things, never stop praying, Thanks and all things. Yeah, yeah, give thanks and all things. Um, do not uh, quench the spirit. Do not de despise prophecy. Yeah. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Reject what is evil. Yeah. In that list, he goes, oh, he said, do not despise prophecies. Um, and they just state, you know, guys like Matthew Henry, guys who I love, just go, this is obviously preaching, is what he means by prophecy. There's two parts of the prophetic word of the apostles and the Old Testament prophets, and they would foretell events and they would foretell God's truth. So there were preachers who had who also had miraculous words. And so he's simply saying, don't despise preaching, which is one portion of prophecy, mm. uh, but reject what is bad and hold fast to what is good. Um, and it's tempting, but not once you jump into it. Like, defend that. Does Paul ever use that language elsewhere? Everybody knows that in 1 Corinthians 14, he's speaking of prophecy in terms of uh, miraculous utterance. Um, uh, I don't think it's defensible, but but I would say um, uh, um, the reason they want to do that is because if it if they're speaking about prophecy, God speaking a word, and then you're told to reject the bad and receive the good. Well, God never speaks bad, so can't be talking about a revelation of God. But um, uh, that should apply to preaching then as well. If you preach in the word, you should say nothing wrong. Mm. 
which they would say, no, no, it's different. Because preaching is the inspired word of God being spoken by a man. There's no error in the Bible. There's some error in the man. And I would actually say that the, the New Testament gift of, of prophecy says the exact same thing. Right. Perfect revelation, but given in a way that could be misunderstood and sometimes is misunderstood in its explanation. That's why we're told to test it. Mm. Um, reject what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. There, there could be a mixture there. They, they gave a correct explanation. Uh, retelling of what they believe God was telling them mm. but their application like Agabus to Paul Agabus's application was basically don't go to Jerusalem you're going to get arrested he was correct Paul was going to get arrested that's what God told him he was wrong to say don't go you know try and compelling him not to mm. that which I think was is the angle that he was going so right um, so practically yeah if someone let's say someone in our congregation really thinks they had some sort of prophetic word yeah. what what, what how should that person go about talking about that with someone or opening that up? Yeah, so I said um, in my sermon back on this in 1 Corinthians 14, I said, um, bring it to the elders. Like, uh, It needs to be in subjection to the word. Mm. Um, and if, if, it, if it applies to or involves other people in the, in the church, then it falls under the, the authority of the elders. Right. Um, uh, and if it's, it's up like to a, us to help decide whether or not it's in submission to the word yeah. not each individual um, because we have the keys of, of the kingdom of, in terms of teaching mm. um, it's our responsibility um, and so if somebody felt like I just can't shake this I feel like God's really put this on my heart I need to tell somebody go and tell the elders absolutely and then it's the elders job to say um, no we reject what is evil we don't think that's from God it's against the scripture mm. or we go hey that's according to the scripture um, uh but there's really nothing to do about that. Like, it's not an application. It's not an exhortation. It's just an encouragement. We're like, you know what? Thanks. Sit on it for a while. Um, or if it's some, you know, if it's some anything more than that, that we think, oh, there needs to be something done about this. If it was truly from God, you know, we would pray about it. And mm. just, um, and I think people are really shaken by that. They're like, what? That's so, you being tossed to and fro by everything. Like, nah, we're rock solid dudes. We're not going to, we're fine with that. Mm. It's happened every now and then. Um, Nothing that, that we ever ended up bringing to the to people. It's, it was a matter of encouragement. It was a matter of exhortation. Something we just sort of sat on and went, not super clear on this. Let's park it. Um, it just God. doesn't need to be the scary idea yeah. of what do you do. Uh, um, yeah, it's 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 fairly straightforward. Yeah, um, nice. it's a, it's a part of the of the pastor's difficult job is to is to do that to not despise prophecy, mm. to not quench the spirit. And yeah, if people think that's a really scary job and just, it should, you know, just, just, wouldn't it be easier to just reject all prophecy as a cessationist? Yeah, that would be easier. But that would be to despise prophecy mm. and to quench the spirit. Mm. Um, you know, it's not a frequent occurrence, but it's a part of the job. So if they think that's just, that's a crazy, that's a crazy thing, then you go, well, maybe mm. you're not called to the office or mm. you need some training because mm. man of God should not be uh, shaken mm. in his boots by obedience to a simple New Testament mm. command. But really, if, if you know your theology yeah. and you're growing in wisdom yeah. and you're, you're a pastor, you're counselling people and you're preaching the word in and out, it shouldn't be that hard no. to deal with. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. In fact, the whole church as well. Like I think maybe there's some people at like our church, Hope Reform Baptist Church, right? Who, who would think, I wouldn't know what, how to deal with prophecy. That's scary if what you're saying is true. You know, that's, that's, too, that's too weird. I'd rather be cessationist. I'd be like, I think you'd be perfectly fine. Mm. You know? Maybe some of that is fear and maybe that's some of that is quenching the spirit. But seriously, somebody came up to you and told you something and you felt like, you know what, I don't believe in the gift, but I think this is true. 
if you're in a good church, you've got good people around you. If you're not given over in silliness to the gifts mm. or to, to a pursuit of the gifts that is, you know, if you're not pursuing the mission, but you're pursuing the gifts for the gift's sake, mm. then yeah, you're up to all sorts of issues. But if you've yeah. got theology, you've got elders, you've got people, you've got people you talk to for wisdom, you've got holiness, you've got experience and some wisdom, it's just not going to go far. Mm. You know, error is going to get plucked up fairly, fairly easily. And, um, and that's, I think, the confidence that Paul would have us have. Mm. Sweet. Thanks, Tom. We're no here worries. at church. See you all next week. Okay.